patience. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. And the truth is that I personally learned a great deal about the topic that I found extremely helpful in my own personal walk with Christ, and I would very much like to share with you what I learned this morning, believing that you will also find it helpful since all of us at one time or another has to wait, don't we? So let me begin by reminding you, first of all, of the context in which this biblical passage, the fruit of the Spirit, is found. Throughout chapter 5 of Galatians, the Apostle Paul has been talking about the importance of believers learning to walk in or keep in step with the Spirit. There is within each of us, he explains, a battle for control going on between our old sinful nature, what Paul refers to as our flesh, and the indwelling Holy Spirit. When we choose to listen to the urges of our sin nature, the result is the acts of the flesh, the very attitudes and behaviors from which most of us are seeking freedom. But if we choose instead to crucify the flesh, surrendering our lives to His control, we will begin to see the fruit of the Spirit that will naturally be produced by His new management of our lives. The acts of the flesh are just more of our own humanness. But the fruit of the Spirit are God Himself reproducing His character in and through us. So let's get started. And as we do, if you have note sheets, you can follow along, beginning with this, our big idea for this morning. God is supremely patient. And when His Holy Spirit reigns and rules in our lives, we begin to progressively put our full trust in Him and learn to patiently wait for Him to do what He has promised to do in and through us. Now, since the fruit of the Spirit, as we have established, are simply God at work reproducing His character in us, here is where we must begin. With the reminder that God is patient. God is incredibly Remarkably, unbelievably patient. You and I and our presence here today are clear proof of that fact. Wouldn't you agree, Robert? Amen. Notice, for instance, the Apostle Peter's explanation of the apparent delay from our earthly perspective that in regards to God's coming judgment on the earth... In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Among even some really serious long-term believers, I often hear people say, 
Oh, how much longer? Don't you think that Jesus is coming back soon, Pastor? Don't you think this must be the time? Look at everything that's going on and all. And I think, how different is our thinking and perspective from God's perspective and thinking? (laughs) Because He's in heaven thinking, there are people who haven't trusted me yet. I dare not return until every last person that can possibly be saved is saved. Wouldn't it be remarkable if at some point we would start adopting that kind of philosophy? Saying, Lord, please show up, but not until you're finished doing your redemptive work because there are people who need you. People that I need to share the gospel with. God has a plan, you see. For each of our lives, and that plan includes not only our, I'm going to throw at you some theological words here, our justification, bringing us back into right relationship with the Father, but also our sanctification, reproducing in us the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, and then ultimately our glorification, or preparing us for life in eternity with Him. In his epistle to the Philippian church, Paul asserted that this is a work that God has begun in you and in me, and he will not quit or rest until it is completed. Hear the words of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Of this I am truly confident. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion In the day of Jesus Christ. Yes, God is patient. And He is not going to be finished with His work in you until you are like Him in every way, including this way. (laughs) Don't be like those foolish, immature Christians who say, maybe some of you have said it, don't ever ask God for patience. He'll just send trials into your life. (laughs) To that I say, Well, duh. (laughs) Yes, in fact, He will send whatever is necessary to form His image in you. So if trials are what it requires for you to become more patient, i.e. more like Him, yes, He'll send them. He'll send them in abundance. And when you pray for them to be diminished, He'll probably send more. If in His mind, in His divine, supreme, all-knowing mind, that's what it'll take. Patience is the fruit of the Spirit. And since you belong to God and are indwelt by His Spirit, He's not going to stop working to produce it in you until the work is finished. And He's going to do whatever it takes, whether you ask for it or not. So, you might as well ask for it. It is His eternally established plan and design for your life So you might as well learn to cooperate with his agenda in this area. Now let's get practical. And we're going to turn to our scripture reading for today for some further insights on patience and waiting. To be clear regarding the fruit of the Spirit, you cannot work at becoming more patient. You Waste your energy if you strive to be more patient. Only God can produce 
the fruit of patience in you. Now, there is a part for us to play, as God always does. And the part God invites us to play is learning how to wait. (laughs) He makes us more patient. We say, God, I'm going to wait on you as you make me more patient. Now, let's get started with this uh, text, James chapter 5. Verses 7 through 12. And from the text that Bob eloquently read, so I won't read every verse all at once. I'll wait on that. First, we are patiently waiting for the Lord's arrival. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. Now, It would be very, very limiting to interpret these words as referring merely to Christ's ultimate return at the end of time to usher in his eternal kingdom. No, he's simply referring here to our part and God's part in this marvelous project of our redemption. To be sure, God has invited us into partnership with him in this great project. But his part must always and will always come first. He takes the initiative. Martin Luther once said this, Without him, I can't. Without me, he won't. That's the partnership into which God has called you. He's going to do the work that he's described, including making you way more patient. But I have to cooperate by learning to be more patient. No, that's God's work. Do what? Wait. He makes me more patient. I wait. I wait. He makes me more patient. His job, my job. But what do we do until God, according to his own sovereign will, and in his perfect time, shows up, acts, moves, works? Well, the word regarding this faith response that accompanies the call to patience in almost every biblical passage, and with which God entrusts us, is a word that, frankly, most of us don't like very much. It is the word, wait. Wait, I'm a very assertive person. Not all of you are by personality, and that's fine. God made both kinds of people. But the truth is that we driven people have real difficulty with this idea. The things that we're convinced need to happen, we want to make happen right now. Forgetting that we are just a tiny part of the equation. That is, our waiting. But it's our part. Here are these words that the prophet Isaiah spoke to the people of his day. During difficult days in Israel, they were looking to God for help. And he said, Do you not know? Rhetorical questions. Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. (laughs) Uh, I think Andrew said that. God's not really that concerned with time. (laughs) I mean, we've got that covered, right? We're obsessed with time. 
He is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Now, even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and they fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will not walk and not be faint. Soaring. Is that a picture of the way you'd like to live your life? Live out your faith in Christ? Okay. The eagle with his wings extended is a picture of waiting. That's a good understanding of the biblical word wait. It means position yourself because does the extension of the wings cause the eagle to soar? No. It is the wind currents under the wings of the eagle that causes him to soar. But the eagle, smarter than us, knows to simply climb to a high height and extend its wings and let the wind, the breeze, the currents lift them. That's what's happening when (laughs) we wait on God for Him to act and He produces, as we learn how to wait in us, the character quality of... What character quality comes along with waiting? Patience. That's how you become more patient. (laughs) Not just by asking God to make you more patient. Not by uh, excruciatingly make yourself get through something but by learning to wait. God is waiting on you, frankly, not the other way around. I know you think you're waiting on Him. Okay. What's He waiting on you for? Well, what does the wind wait for the eagle to do? Extend His wings. God is waiting on us to wait on Him. And when we do, we begin to soar. As we step out then and begin to simply do our part, He promises to abundantly supply us, according to this passage, with His wisdom and strength in measures beyond our greatest expectations. We begin to soar. I actually think this is also the understanding with which the Apostle Paul prayed for his friends in Ephesians in Ephesus, in his pastoral prayer of Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Picture the eagle soaring again, and there you're at a pretty high height in your faith now, and you extend your wings and get ready to go higher than you ever imagined. Higher than you ever imagined expected for God to do more than you ever thought he could do so to him be the glory he does this for his glory by the way (laughs) so we can say all I did was extend my wings (laughs) God did it all all thanks to him all praise to him to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever 
and ever. Amen. Second, we are like the farmer simply planting seed and expecting it to grow. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. As a great illustrator and living in an agricultural society, the author of the text uses an illustration here that his readers would easily understand. Farmers work hard. They prepare the soil, they plant the seed, they harvest the crop. All of these projects are essential to successful farming, but there's actually one absolutely essential step that is still missing. That's right. They wait. They wait. They plant the seed. They don't go out the next day and dig it up to see if it's growing. They wait for the process to play out. They wait for the evidence that the plant is growing. So it is with our waiting on God. They prepare the soil. They plant the seed. They harvest the crop. All of these projects are essential to successful farming. But there's one absolutely essential step that is missing. They have to wait. As the seed lies deep within the soil, it begins to grow. Eventually, it pokes its head through the surface, emerging to produce fruit. This is the part over which the farmer exercises almost no control. How many of you that are control freaks started feeling uneasy as soon as I said that? Almost no control. You have no idea how many things in your life are just like that. He doesn't go out and daily dig up the seed looking for fruit. He trusts God to do his part. He relies on the divinely ordained process. The farmer, says James, has learned to wait. I would like to further suggest, because of my background in psychology, that according to established psychological research, the ability to wait, in fact, is essential to success in every area of life. The Stanford Marshmallow Experiment was a study on delayed gratification conducted by a researcher named Walter Michel in 1972. In his study, 32 preschoolers were ushered by their teacher one at a t- or four at a time into a room with Dr. Michel where he placed a marshmallow on the table in front of each one of the children. Before he could begin, though, he acted as if he needed to leave the room to take a telephone call, but instructed the children before leaving that if they would simply wait to eat their marshmallow until he returned, he would give them an additional second marshmallow as a reward. The result? Only four of the 32 children were able or willing to wait to eat their marshmallow. But then, being scientists, they did something amazing. The four who waited and got a second marshmallow were tracked over the next 25 years of their life. 
and found to be far more successful in almost every area of life, including academic careers, scoring SAT scores 20 to 30% higher, were in significantly better physical condition, found more meaningful employment in adult life, and reported much higher levels of general contentment with their adult lives than those who simply went ahead and ate their marshmallow. You're not a preschooler anymore, but can you put yourself in their place and wonder what you would have done? What was the key to their prosperity? From early in life, they had simply demonstrated the capacity for delayed gratification. They knew how to wait. The same skill is what is seen in the successful farmer, according to James. He or she has to work hard, yes. But the key ingredient is that they have to learn to wait effectively. Now, often when teaching the topic of the fruit of the Spirit, I will have students rank themselves on the fruit, nine of them, in which they feel they are doing well, and the ones which they feel represent areas where they have needed growth. Almost without exception, Christians will rank their lowest areas of proficiency to be patience and the related fruit of self-control. Can you relate? Okay, yeah, so you're common. On rare occasions, someone will rank patients higher in these tests. But a few follow-up questions usually reveal that these fellow people aren't really patient. They simply lack initiative and um, ambition and aren't really that patient, just unmotivated. So if you were giving yourself a pass, think about that. <laughs> no, as Scripture clearly affirms, the capacity to wait or to delay gratification, to use the scientific term, is definitely one significant key to success in life and in life's pursuits. Thirdly, understand the unfortunate alternative. In other words, and I recognize this as a preacher, anytime you preach on a topic, you can sit here and go, that was so interesting, or you can fall asleep. But either way, you can walk right out that door and not apply an iota of what I share to your lives. What happens if you don't? Third, we are prone to becoming irritable, displacing our anger on others when we are impatient or we lack patience. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. As established then, life works better when we learn to wait. Yet most people do not choose this path and have in fact given up altogether on the goal of becoming more patient. So what can we actually expect to happen in our lives if we give up and just let nature, as Paul would say, our old nature, take its course? The result is an emotional condition with which many of us are quite familiar. There are many synonyms, both in English and in Koine Greek, the language of the New Testament, for the emotional response known as anger. One of them is this word. In fact, a lot of people, if they don't want to say they're angry, will use this word thinking it's a little softer. I'm just frustrated. But what is 
frustration, really? Well, we're going to talk about it. (laughs) Another psychological study led by Dr. John Dollard is known as the Yale University Frustration-Aggression Hypothesis. (laughs) You didn't know you were going to get this much psychology, did you? Sorry. In this project, the topic of the connection between levels of frustration and subsequently heightened acts of aggression was analyzed as it impacted impoverished areas in large cities. It was concluded from the study that when individuals are stopped by an immovable obstacle to an important goal, frustration occurs, producing heightened levels of energy fueled by the presence of anger and subsequent aggression directed at the obstacle and then sadly displaced or vented on unfortunately related sources. In other words, moving from the psychobabble, if you feel that you are being kept from achieving your important goals in life, you will likely become an angry and difficult person. If you have a bad day at work because your boss is a constant obstacle to doing your job well, but are afraid to confront him or her or to quit or to look for a new job, what do you do? Well, you just kick the dog when you get home or yell at the kids or criticize your spouse. That's how it works out. You let off pressure by displacing your anger on those around you, often those that are most vulnerable. See, you thought it was patience or impatience. It's way more at stake than that. Sadly, this is what happens. This is the person you become if you don't learn to wait effectively. Allowing the Holy Spirit in you to produce the fruit of patience and correspondingly, learning how to wait will not only make you more successful in life, It will keep you from becoming the kind of person with which no one likes to share their life. Fourthly, I can talk about these hot topics because I'm leaving on Tuesday. (laughs) Remember these godly examples of patience. We have been preceded in history by countless examples of patience in the face of of suffering. Now, I know when you read the word suffering in Scripture, you think like being burnt at the stake or being whipped. But most of us won't face that. You should relate it to simply anything that makes you feel uncomfortable. Anybody can wait as long as you're comfortable. But after you've waited a while and it was longer than you expected, you immediately become uncomfortable. What do you do then, and how important is it to wait through the discomfort? Job was a godly man, enjoying God's... Oh, excuse me, I skipped the passage here. The prophets were called to direct the attention of God's people to the promised arrival of a coming Savior. A great job, right? except for none of them would ever see the fulfillment of the promise they were proclaiming in their lifetime. That's major waiting. All of their earthly lives would be spent simply waiting in expectation of what God would do in the future, long after their deaths. 
Peter thusly describes their experiences in 1 Peter. Brothers and sisters, excuse me, there it is. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that they have now been told, told you by those who have preached the gospel to, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, Even angels long to look into these things. The prophets preached and never saw what they preached about. (laughs) That can be pretty frustrating. The prophets did what could only be done through extreme patience. Job was a godly man, enjoying God's favor, when in a moment he lost everything, his wealth, his health, his family. He suffered greatly, and yet he determined in the midst of his suffering, though he slay me, yet will I place my trust in him. Now what lesson could he learn that would possibly be worth all of this? He learned to wait, patiently believing that God would bring a greater good out of all that he had gone through Now, in the end of the story, Job would have his earthly riches restored and more. But beyond this, far beyond this, he came to know his God as few in his day did. And to believe that there was far more after this life that nobody in this, his current world, ever thought about. He saw things, did things, experienced things that no one else in his world did. Why? How? (laughs) Because he learned to wait. In the end of the story, (laughs) God produced so much more. I know that my Redeemer lives, he would say. In other words, and uh, I believe that he's got a plan that reaches way beyond what I'm going through right now. It is a lesson that each of us in our own faith journeys like the prophets of old, like Job, must learn. Through the many difficulties of life, we are learning how to wait. And moment by moment, with each new challenge, the Holy Spirit is seeking to produce within us, within you, within me, the fruit that is patience. Finally, realize just why it is that we find Patience so difficult to obtain. We are constantly trying to resume responsibility for our own personal development instead of simply trusting God. They actually had a camera in the room <laughs> visualizing these children who were trying to keep from eating their mush their marshmallow, and some of them were pulling out their hair, they were holding their face, they were trying not to look at the marshmallow. Most of them all ended up eating it as as a result. But again, that was human effort. 
And I've seen people try to do that. I got to be more patient. (laughs) And at the end, human patience is gravely limited. But God wants to give you His patience, with which there is absolutely no limit. But only He can do that. Well, what do you do in the meantime? You learn to wait. You determine to wait. You wait regardless of what is involved. Remember again the context in which the fruit of the Spirit is found. (laughs) So James adds this strange little phrase onto the end. Above all, my brothers, do not... In fact, even Pastor Ed thought it was strange, so he left it off originally on the Scripture reading. I had to call him going like, I want to go all the way through 12. Because he was thinking, as you probably thought when you read it, that's one of those verses you wonder like, where'd that come from? Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. That means if you're going to become more patient, God's going to have to do it in you. You're not going to be able to do it. These words that James speaks are instructions saying, don't say, I'm going to be more patient this year. I'm going to try really hard. I know that this child is difficult, but I'm going to be more patient with them. <laughs> right? Never underestimate a child's capacity to test your patience, no matter how much you have. Right? So that's a pretty foolish thing to say. I'm going to be more patient with them. No, you're probably going to be about as patient as you're capable of being. Now, you're a good person, so that's probably pretty patient, but not patient enough. Not patient like God. You need him to give you what only he possesses. This is why it's such a foolish idea to do this. How many of you did it? Anybody? Okay. See, that's because you're old. Most of you tried and after failing a bunch of time, you're going like, yeah. Yeah, see, Logan put his arm up. The, the, one of the young guys said, yeah, yeah, I tried that. All right. And, and the thing is that they rarely work because chances are you're doing everything you can do already. You're doing the best you can do. The problem is, you need to become a better person so that you can do better things. And only God can do that. Only when you turn your life over to Him can you do that. Uh, I work with, uh, thanks to Dave and all I learned from him, but I work with 12-step groups in Mexico. Very interesting experience. For any of you who ever spent a day in a rehab here, thank God. Okay? (laughs) I climb up a spiral staircase into a room that has 32 bunks in a room that's the size of the kitchen <laughs> and teach the biblical basis of, of uh, recovery with an interpreter. And I learned something really remarkable. I really learned that like preachers, uh, Bill W. was a little too wordy for the average recovery person. So I reduced down all of the 12 steps to three words each. In fact, two words a lot of times in Spanish, but three words. And the first three steps I say are, I have 
a problem. I admitted I was powerless. I have a Savior. I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. I have a choice. I decided to turn my life and will over to the care of God. Now, I mention this now only for this reason. This is not a pattern for recovery from addiction. This is a pattern for recovery from sin, of which addiction falls under that category, but it also, under that category, finds all of the rest of us as well. Okay? Waiting is saying, I have a part to play. My first part is to admit, I can't do a blessed thing about this. I keep trying to be more patient. I can't do it. I remember one time I was praying. You ever have one of those prayer moments where you hear God's voice very clearly? Not really out loud, but if it were out loud, it couldn't be any more clear to you. And one time I got really fed up with something and I said, I quit! To which in the silence after the I quit, I heard God say, it's about time. Think you thought you were going to like offend God by saying that? No, he's going like, you've been getting in my way all along. I wonder when you were going to stop trying so hard and trusting more. So when James says, don't swear, don't say like, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, this year's the year I'm going to quit. I'm going to start. I'm going to fix. And uh, instead, say... This is the year I'm going to turn my life more completely over to the control of the Holy Spirit. Which brings us to our action steps for this lesson, which means I'm almost done. On your notes, first. This week, take some time to make a list of three big goals, like those things you made resolutions about. That's good. That you have for the coming year. It's good to have goals. It's just good that when you set the goals, you realize that only God's going to be able to do them through you. On your own, you're not going to be able to do them. Make a list of three big goals you have for the coming year. Ask yourself, am I convinced that these are goals that God has for me as well? Because if He does, that's an unbeatable combination if you're willing to trust Him with it. Second, make a list of three things you can begin to do to demonstrate your belief that you will successfully do your part to reach these goals. In other words, now that you've focused on what is God's part and your part, now say, what can I do about my part? Is there at least one you can get started with today? So if there's somebody you promised to yourself, I need to get in touch with them. Okay, We only have a few minutes left in this service, so you don't have to pull out your cell phone now. But don't, you don't even have to leave the parking lot before you do it. <laughs> Make a commitment to take action now. Then is there one or more that you can make plans for getting started? In other words, circle a date on the calendar and say, by this date, I'm going to do this. Finally, make a list of the things that only God can do 
to allow you to reach these goals, things you're trusting Him with. Make a commitment in prayer to daily give Him these things that only He can do. Let Him know that you are trusting Him in these areas and yielding control to the Holy Spirit to produce in you the fruit of the Spirit that is patience. I like to have a memory verse that helps me stay on track. So the memory verse I had for the patience week was Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen, And I chose one on purpose that's really short because that means anybody can memorize it. It is this, Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen: Wait on the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we stand here now, near the beginning of a new year, we confirm our promise to turn daily management of our lives over to your control, over to the control of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the confidence that he will produce in us the valuable gift of patience as a prerequisite for the fulfillment of all of the great plans you have for our lives. So teach us, we pray, the discipline of waiting on you, expecting as we do the glorious things that you have promised to do in our lives. For we pray this morning in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now this is a very old song. I'd like you to stand with me, and it fits beautifully with what we're talking about. And it's...